Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. We are hot. Hot. You got me, Tuttle? We are hot. So mics are on. You better be careful about what you're saying because it's going to be recorded and it's going to get out into the internet. And you better be careful because people are going to have judgments all over the place. So this mic is hot and we are in the bleachers. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League Baseball veteran. And now in my 10th year of broadcasting Houston Astros baseball, I've got my good friend across the way out there on the West Coast who I was fortunate enough to see on that road trip, David Tuttle, career baseball player, played in college, Team USA, Minor league vet, never got the opportunity, but he's getting the opportunity right here in the bleachers. It's always good to have him on. We had a couple of podcasts a couple of week ago, weeks ago. We've been recording on the road. I'm back in the home confines of Houston, Texas. I'm glad to be home. Tuttle, what is going on with you? It is great to be back on this podcast, a very special podcast. We had no idea what we're doing as far as timing. We'll get into that a little bit later, but how's Tuttle doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Uh, as I, I think I mentioned last podcast, it was great to see you live and in person, and that should happen more often. Um, I'm a little disappointed, to be clear and honest, with uh, the blackouts, which we've talked about on this podcast before, because the fact a lot that of the, people are man, but the Astros open up in Anaheim, <laughs> which enabled me to see you, but then you play them at home for the home opener, and it's blacked out on my television in terms of. You know, I mean, I got to go local TV or stream the Angels, which, you know, the Angels are not my favorite team. And then what? I got to listen to Mark Gubazoff. I want to, which, like you said, Gooby's a good guy and, and good broadcaster. But that's not the, uh, you know, that's not the content I'm looking for, especially uh, hanging out with you. So, the, the uh, you know, these opening four series, I've gotten uh, very little blum in, in the uh, ear hole. And maybe that would have been a, a I guess a good thing <laughs> based on some of the stuff yeah, that's happening. Depending happened. on what you're watching, yeah. So the question for you is 18, 19, 20 days on the road. We talked about um, the wives at home and how everything's going. I know you didn't get home till late Easter um, evening, uh, so you missed that. And I know that's a big day in the Blum household. Yes. I was happy to see that your daughters did Easter egg hunt because my son, who's 16, 17, still was involved in the Easter egg hunt with my other daughters and it Love was cool. It. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's just part of, you know, childhood and, you know, not letting it go, I guess. But what, how long was the honeydew list and, you know, how, <laughs> how long did the, you know, did the, before she pulled out the honeydew list and said, this is what you got to do today, buddy. <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, that that's always the fun part. You try and do as much as you can during the off season, and obviously, you know, to Tuttle's point, the last two years I have been at home calling games. So it would be call the game, come home. The honeydew list was taken care of da- on a daily basis. Then you leave for you know, man. We left on March thirty first. Came back, man, at what two in the morning on April eighteenth. So yeah, you're right. You know, we did kind of miss out on Easter and things like that. I was still, I was fortunate enough, you know, my wife, you know, as part of that, part of that honeydew list is to remind me of certain dates and events and things like that. I knew Easter was coming, but she's like, make sure you get something for the girls. And I, so I went out and I got, you know, the little crate box that, you know, sent a couple of things to the girls and where they were able to, I was able to celebrate with them by giving them a gift. And then my wife, God bless her, man. It's amazing that how much women do in families and then how much women do or wives do of 
families of three and four, like your wife, you know, you've got three kids yourself and the idea of, you know, keeping that family tradition alive, whether it be Christmas, uh, you know, the tooth fairy, St. Patrick's day, you know, we had the leprechaun that would come in and thrash the room and be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Elf (laughs) on a shelf. There you go. That one. Uh, you know, some of those, some of them are fun. Some of them are work, but, uh, I thought it was great to watch my wife's Instagram story and see that she did the Easter egg hunt with the girls because I don't know how you guys do it, but we have the Easter eggs all over the place. You know, it'll have the the candy in it, but there's always one egg since they were kids, we would have one golden egg and it would be hidden in a super secret, you know, tough to find spot. And whoever found it got what was inside. And it's typically cash, you know, it could range anywhere from five bucks to a hundred bucks, depending on how good the year was. And, uh, it was great to see that Kayla, one of my triplets actually got the golden egg this year. And it was fun to see that they still do that kind of stuff. I think it's refreshing, you know, that for me to be on the road, not be a part of this, but see my wife still continuing the tradition of that. And you know what that does. And I wonder how you feel about that or, you know, why we do these things. I feel like we really want our kids to continue that with their family and hand something down, you know, generationally, but it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I'm actually super stoked to hear that you do that with your family still. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny because this year was a big transition when, you know, the girls are 12. So, I mean, maybe this happened a couple of years ago when they're like, we know there's no Easter bunny, but like, we want to make sure that we still have all of the, you know, the, you know, whatever the traditions to, to your mm-hmm. point, the Easter egg hunt and maybe the Easter basket and, uh, happened to be my mom's birthday. So she was in town. So oh, nice. she participated, but oh. yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think even better, I think what cracks me up is, you know, I kept the tradition going, we kept it going. And the, you know, as you said, we, I don't think we do the golden egg, but there are a couple eggs with cash in it. And those are always the big ones that they fight over. And so maybe that's the tradition, but I think you hit the nail <laughs> on the head. I mean, these are really, uh, you know, they're teenagers. They're like, Hey, we want money. Uh, is that you know that you hope that they continue um, these things on with their family someday because they they were things that I remember still as a kid. You know, I remember when I found out there was um, sorry, uh, spoiler alert, no Santa, and um, and I, but I found out where my parents like hid the gifts and stuff, and so I would like sneak around. And I mean, oh yeah, it wasn't great to find that out, but I guess the point was. You, it was, it's a, you know, it's a tradition. It's such an exciting time. And, and like you said, as the kids get older, some of those things fall away. And it was really refreshing to see, like you said, that your wife kept up the tradition and that, um, you know, we kept the same thing going. So uh, it was a good, a good Easter at our house. And um, it's nice to see you back at home in your office and, uh, you know, yeah. recoup from the trip. Because as you said, two years at calling games in Houston, I mean, that is a really long road trip. That's like the San Antonio uh, Spurs uh, rodeo road trip every year. You know, you were gone 22 days, something like that. Yeah, and back in the day, the Astros uh, had a 28-day trip. It was basically a month because of the Republican uh, convention that one year back in the 80s. So it could, it could always be worse. You know, the, the team itself, the players were gone for two and a half months before they got to Houston. But, uh, you know, it, the best part about it was, is going to Anaheim and actually shaking Mark Gubas's hand, you know, seeing him in person and having that exchange again. It was, it was, you know, the people in the food room that you hadn't seen in two years that are still there. And that's always the concern too, is like, is, are they still working there? Are they still around? Uh, one of the ushers, his name was David in Anaheim. And we got a real close connection with, uh, Anaheim, Seattle, Oakland, 
uh, you know, those teams in Texas because we play them so frequently and we're so connected with them. So it was great to have them come over. You know, they may have shifted the area that they work, but they came back and said hello. It was great to reconnect with them. That was probably the most fun. Working with some of the stage managers around the league are always good because they've got great personalities and uh, we have a mutual respect for the business we're in. Uh, it was great to see the stadiums and see the games live. Uh, you know, going back to Arizona, it was really interesting and it was kind of fun because, you know, a couple of pitchers had tough times throwing their, uh, their off speed pitches or their spin. And I'm in the stadium and I can go, it's a little bit cooler here. It's super dry. They're probably having issues with the grip in the studio. I'm not getting that feel. You know, I can only speculate on that, but sitting there, I can actually say, yes, I can physically feel the fact that it is 70 degrees in Arizona and there's still no moisture in the air. So it's going to make it real tough. Uh, and then the you know the walks proceeded, and uh, I was able to feel that. And then, damn, we go to Seattle, dude. It's freaking cold, man. Mm. I forgot. You know, we went to we were in Florida to Anaheim to Arizona, where you know the weather was moderate. You know, and then you get to Seattle, and it's just bone chilling, man. Forty degrees at at the end of the game, and it's that damp, moist kind of cold mm. that gets in your bones a little bit. I had a I had a puffy jacket. I say, you have to buy a parka. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, shoot, there were some stores downtown Seattle that weren't open that I would probably go to to look for some stuff, uh, but th they weren't open, unfortunately. But I had the big puffy jacket, but man, dude, I was so happy to get back to Houston. And, you know, the, the, the honeydew list is welcome because it's, it's a part of the routine that I was used to for the last two years. And getting back to the humid weather, whew, did my, yeah. amazingly, it, it did my sinuses some good, man. Yeah. And of course the family, right? To get the embrace, there's always that too. They might act like when you're home. They were awake when I got home. How about that? There you go. It was go awesome. waiting up for dad. There you go. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Or they're up every night like that, but you're just usually snoring on right? the couch going, wait, what are you guys doing up at two o'clock? <laughs> anyway. What's everybody rolling well, around here for? Yeah. I, who am I to do this, but welcome home Blum, right? And then yeah. jump right into opening day. Oh man, opening day was awesome. Uh, it, the ring ceremony was great. They played a great ball game. You know, that's always the hope too. The energy at home is so much different. You know, that's probably the one thing I didn't like about the road was actually being in, being able to witness some of the booing and how loud it was and how excessive it was on the road for Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel, and Alex Bregman. And it, it, it got to me, man. I was like, dang, why? Are they? At first, I'm like, why are they booing so bad? And then it kind of clicked back in. I'm like, man, they're still wearing that 2017, uh, you know, uh, sign stealing scandal stuff. And, it, you know, every single at bat when they dig in, somebody was letting them have it. And I'm just going, wow, man. So it kind of, you know, that ball player in me, uh, you know, it it actually reminded me again when Kyrie Irving was giving everybody in Boston the bird. I'm going, man. If Kyrie Irving was out here on a baseball field right now, he'd be giving everybody the bird right now. But surprisingly, yeah. Altuve, Bregman, and Gurriel, to their credit, just go about their business, play the game, go back to the dugout, and just act like it's not even there. Well, Kyrie Irving—that's a—that's a really that was the first thing I thought of. He was doing the flip off and then swish, flip off and then swish. Like he was on Dude, fire. He has been playing really good basketball. Yeah, by the way. but it really—I mean, he's amazing. But it does sound like that. That's what uh, you know, Bregman and Guriel and Altuve are able to do as well. Obviously, without the middle finger. I mean, you know, you just kind of put on your uh, your blinders and go about your business. But I, I'm—I guess maybe we've joked about being a general fan and it took years and years now i mean you're obviously still in the in the booth often but you know to kind of go to a game and have peanuts and beer and actually watch a baseball game as a fan but the i just i mean 
So three or four years ago, something that I'll, you know, I mean, again, I'll just never get my head around like, oh, that's Altuve, boo, or mm-hmm. going to a soccer game where they whistle every time this guy that they don't like touches the ball or, you know, booing every time Kyrie touches the ball and dribbles the ball. It's a lot of energy. Like, are you really that? <laughs> I thought I mean, the same you, thing. That's a great point. Are, are you following <laughs> the, are you just following the trend line or is that your animosity? Like the your reason you paid $300 for a playoff ticket and to sit 10 rows back is so that you could just boo Kyrie Irving. Like people, people get their energy out and, you know, spend their, uh, their disposable income in different ways. And I just, I mean, that just doesn't hit me uh, in the same way it probably hits them. So I don't know that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. But well, we're, like, we're weirdos. We're, you know, well, we are, we right. are strange because we, we having played the sport, we appreciate what they're doing and we actually would pay our pay money to go watch them play the game. That's right. <laughs> you, exactly. you know, and that's, you know, I want to see how, you know, even if you'd hate Altuve, you show up to see if he can still play the game, and the dude mm-hmm. still plays the game. I know he's off to a slow start, kind of sluggish, uh, fighting a little bit of an injury right now. But at the same time, I'm don't you get to the point where you're like, damn, Kyrie, man, you know, as much as I hate this guy, that dude can play. And yeah. the fact that he's doing it right in our face as we're booing him kind of yeah. makes it a little impressive. more impressive that he's going yeah. out there and doing it. Here, this is a stretch of an analogy, but it would be like, you know, you bought Taylor Swift tickets for your daughters or Billie Eilish tickets for your daughters to go to a concert and you take them to the concert and you're not really into the music. I mean, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. That's a personal choice, right? And then Taylor Swift's song comes on and you hate that song and you're like 10 rows back going, boo, boo, I hate this song, boo. And you're like, wait a second, I just paid money to come to a rock concert, <laughs> like, or, or a music, like, you know, you do things for your family, but it's like, I mean, that would be the same, and that's maybe, like I said, it's a stretch to have the equivalency there, but I just think that's, like, yeah, I know you guys like this song, but I really hate this artist, they put it on a commercial, they're a sellout, I'm gonna, you know, boo the Foo Fighters, because they they sold out for that Dodge commercial or whatever. Yeah. Boo! But then, but then you, like, show up, and you're like, oh, man, this song again, dang it. Yeah. And then you're kind of watching, and you're going, man, this, I mean, at least they're putting on a good show, I that's guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Like, I mean, you just get into it. But I just, yeah. that, I mean, that's the same, right? That's the same thing. You you pay money to this concert so I can just boo the one song I can't stand. <laughs> Is ACDC going to play Dirty Deeds? I hate that song. I can't stand anyway. that song. Yeah, but it was it was a fun first couple of weeks of the season. It was great to get out there. I want to know, is there anything that really kind of jumped out to you or that you're surprised about or caught your eye or caught your ear that was going on uh, with some of the stuff? I, you know, I've got, there's one thing that really, you know, as good as Jeremy Pena has been filling in for Carlos Correa this season, you know, that's maybe something for a later podcast because we want those sample sizes to be bigger. But mm-hmm. there's, there's, a couple of things moving forward, you know, obviously I want to, I'm, I had a hot mic situation that I'm going to talk about later in this podcast, but uh, there's a certain veteran in the league that p- pitched for the Astros that I want to talk about a little bit, but I want to throw it your way, Tuttle, and put it in your court and see what you saw that first couple of weeks and what you want to talk about, man. Yeah, that, well, thank you. The biggest issue I had, and this will probably lead into what uh, you would like to talk about, is... Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw had a perfect game for seven innings, Ooh. and I think at 80 pitches. And, uh, and you know, our lovely friend Dave Roberts, I mean, I say lovely friend, like it's funny, somebody was found out, as you know a lot of these guys, like I do, 
they're mm-hmm. like, you know, the manager of the Dodgers. I'm like, well, I mean, I knew him really well before he became the manager of the Dodgers, and then he's got to go dark, really. I mean, you know, unless you talk to him socially, right? You just you're not going to talk yeah. baseball with a guy who you used to talk only baseball with, really. <laughs> so it's <laughs> right because it, I mean, it's just a different, you know, you're wearing a different hat and a different element. So, um, but Clayton Kershaw coming out. So I think there's been 20, don't quote me on this. We could look it up about 22 to 27 perfect games in the entire history of major league baseball. And you have a chance to, yeah, you have a chance to do. I just suppose Clayton Kershaw gets hurt two outings from now. This is where I was going with that. Like, do they go, oh man, he got hurt two outings from now. We saved those two innings. I just think. We've lost, you know, this is the old throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can come out with anything else. I, I I don't see on any planet at any time as a fan where you take a starting pitcher who's a Hall of Fame with a Hall of Fame resume out of a game. Yes, early in the season. Yes, you have uh, World Series aspirations. Again, he's not even their number one or two at this point. He's kind of the three or four. They're easing him into the season. I just, I want somebody to put a cogent argument together saying this is exactly why we took him out. And I heard Dave's explanation. You know, Doc said, he basically said, look, this is, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, We don't want to stretch him out. We had committed to whatever, 80 or 90 pitches before the game. So he was still four or five pitches short of what the, um, the pitch count was. But, you know, I mean, there's no excuse to be getting the bullpen work. You're 80 pitches, seven innings of perfect, uh, you know, perfect game baseball i i don't know i it it's it i'm dumbfounded and we've talked about old school goose gossage and nolan ryan i mean you know the people <laughs> like they must have been you know if they cared that much anymore they would be screaming at their television 80 pitches i could throw 80 pitches in three innings which is why i didn't make the big leagues you know they were like yeah tuttle's at 78 pitches three and a half innings into this game what are we gonna do he's walked three like all right, well, let's get let him go to a hundred pitches, like or hundred and twenty. Like <laughs> you're out there, you know. I just, you know, there's no there's no realm that I can see. Anyway, I mean, make the argument for me. I I get the logic and the analytics. I don't get the logic and the analytics. <laughs> I know it, it, it's tough. And our illustrious producer uh, in our little text chain said that there have been twenty three perfect games. Twenty three. So, yep. But I think that's what you're kind of – that's why you brought it up is because of the the uniqueness and the special circumstances that he was pitching under. You know, a no-hitter, there's been there's been a ton of no-hitters. But the perfect game is is something that, you know, it, it, it's a call to perfect game for a reason. There's only 23 in the last 175 years of the game because it's so hard to attain – and you have a veteran like Clayton Kershaw, and I never thought about what you brought up about him being that fourth or fifth starter in this rotation. He used to be the ace of the staff. He used to be that guy you relied on. And I think now in the Dodgers rotation, he's a guy that you want to count on, but you're not counting on him for 35 starts anymore. You want 25 starts out of this guy. But he's flirting with history, and that's where as a manager, I think you're really put in a tough spot these days because how much what's the cost for flirting with history or being able to achieve history because i think you know if he comes out in that 8th inning and throws pitch number 85 and gives up the hit guess what you run out there and you take him out of the game or he walks a guy you run out there and you take him out of the game i think what your argument is why don't you allow him the opportunity to try and find out if he can go those extra 20 pitches to put this game away and 
and be immortalized in that Dodger uniform again with another historic feat of a perfect game. My question is, and we've talked about it too, you know, because I wanted to talk about Justin Verlander's start, 39 years old, coming off Tommy John, a little bit different situation because they are trying to protect that arm for the long term. But he had eight innings of shutout baseball, wasn't perfect. So you, that that kind of eliminated the idea of sending him out there for the ninth inning, which he probably could have, but he only threw 87 pitches and he looked under control. Something else, you know, when you bring up the, you know, are we using are we using the analytic crutch to get us out of that situation in the public opinion by saying, you know, the analytics, the short spring training, I didn't want to push and we want him for the long term, you know, are those excuses? Yeah. I mean, absolutely excuses. That's my point is that it maybe so let's look at this down the line. If Kershaw gets hurt in five starts, say he gets hurt and I'm not hoping that or wishing that, if he gets hurt in five starts, then what did we do? I mean, he could have still even, you know, feeling well, you know, you're saving that, him for that, what? That would be awful. I really right. hope that doesn't No, that's happen. what I'm saying. Because that the hindsight would, be would just crush you knowing right. that, man, if I just given him two extra right. innings, he would have had the perfect game, yeah. then blown out, and we'd have been right. like, oh, right. we got and, to witness history. Right. And then immediate gratification isn't going to be there. If they win the World Series and Kershaw's on the mound when they win it, then, you know, I guess they can justify it. But wouldn't it be nice to win the World Series and have the perfect game? Like you said, you're still just going pitch to pitch or batter to batter at that point. This isn't absolutely not, there would be two arms. There it might be one or two arms loose in that bullpen, to your point, yeah. protecting him so that they can get him out as soon as that perfect game eludes him. Or you just have him there as a safety uh, valve, you know? Right. And here's the other history piece of this. And I never, I didn't think of this until I did listen to a soundbite with Clayton Kershaw. Is he apologized to the catcher? So the catcher, um, you know, as a catcher catching a perfect game, one of twenty three, this would be the twenty fourth. Is a big deal. It would be a it would be a huge deal for the catcher to be like, hey, I caught a perfect game. I was, you know, we were on the same page, and we did, you know, um, I can't remember the catcher number fifteen. Little guy. Uh, is it Will Smith or Austin it Barnes? It wasn't Will. Austin Barnes, thank you. Yeah. So it was Austin Barnes. And Austin, He, I mean, Kershaw went up to him in the dugout when they told him he was done, and he gave Austin Barnes a hug and said, man, I told him, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I wish we could have done this together or something like that. So again, in retrospect, that apology should come when, you know, in the ninth inning with two outs, he gave up the hit, and you say, oh, dude, sorry, we couldn't pull this off together. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be in the seventh inning when the manager makes the decision and they say, oh yeah, I'm so sorry. We couldn't fall. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong in this point, right? They haven't, they didn't get yeah. to fulfill what the opportunity was. And I could just go on and on and on and rephrase this. I just don't understand it. Even when I hear the words coming out of, you know, the decision maker's mouth and, and, you know, I'm sure this again was something they talked about before the game. And we've done this before and I don't want to be the second guest guy, but I feel like this might have been a decision that if he gets to 80 pitches, we're taking him out, or 85 pitches, we're taking him out mm -hmm. no matter what. And then you get into this scenario where it's like, hey, perfect game. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, you already are said that. But, I mean, if you were in that dugout, what do you think? Provide a I little think, color. Is Dave what, hearing what this happened? from someone else? or? Oh, yeah. We, we know that the Dodgers are a highly analytic team. And, you know, that's another thing. You know, th th it's I don't want to say it's an excuse, but it's definitely a way to explain your way out of a situation publicly by saying, we had the conversation before the game. I mean, that's your golden parachute. We gave him a pitch limit. He got to the pitch limit. But what alters the pitch limit? What can, what can supersede that? How about history? 
you know, and I actually wrote down something that I'm going to, I'm going to ask you after I get done answering this is, you know, in that situation, what, why not have the conversation? I want to know if Clayton Kershaw had the, the option to, to overrule Dave and say, Hey man, I'm on the precipice of history. I feel freaking phenomenal. I haven't thrown a high leverage pitch the entire game. I'm in command. I'm still feeling it. Let's run. Let's go. Let's see what we can do. You know, I would love for that to be the case. But how about this for a question? I've got a couple questions actually, and we need to have we need to have like somebody who's uh, written about the game, been in the game a long time. Maybe we've got to reach out. But I want to ask this question: Is analytics killing the history of the game? Oh yeah, that well, that's like nine podcasts. I mean, we could we could talk about yeah. that and and make ourselves. Um, so, killing the game is a strong uh, the history. I'm saying because yes. analytics oh. killed the potential history. Yes, yes. And now I we're see seeing, what you're saying. Yep. and what I'm getting to is, especially for pitching, not necessarily mm-hmm. for the offense, but pitching numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, Nolan Ryan's five thousand plus strikeouts is never going to be touched. Uh, you know, uh, Justin Verlander's just got to three thousand innings and three thousand strikeouts. You know, in the last couple of years. Analytics is is not allowing the starting pitcher to go long enough in games and pitch long enough during the course of a season to rack up numbers. Right. Instead of have, you know, instead of pitching a strong fifteen years and racking up mega numbers, if you're a wipeout strikeout type pitcher, in this day and age of analytics, you'd have to pitch for thirty years to get to that potential number. Is what and, I'm trying to get at. Yeah, Maybe but pitching I mean, numbers, analytics. Yeah, no, it, is suppressing the pitching numbers. Yeah, for sure. And but it, it it's also the hitters as well. I mean, if we're doing the, you know, the one true outcome and you know, guys are still well, getting their three career or four spans bats, are shortening. Yeah. And I and I do think that that I mean, killing the history is a like I said, I think there's a, a there might harsh. be a phrase in there, right? There might be a but I think your point is well taken and it's gonna be something that we can look at. And I'll tell you, I read a book, um, I mean, we all read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, there's another book out called Alchemy that talked about how Red Bull became, that was the intro to the book, became the most popular drink. It tastes terrible. And the way they started marketing it, they put it in this little can, but they would go to bars in London after a night out and they would take all these empty cans and put them around the garbage can and just pile it in there. Like nobody drank the Red Bull. They had these empty cans made and people were like, what's this Red Bull stuff? And they just started marketing it and they were outliers, right? This is something, you know, this was something that I feel like to have history done the right way, like Verlander did, a uh, 39-year-old coming off Tommy John, throwing eight innings, you need a general manager or a an operations person to say, you know what? We're going to follow analytics for 92% of our roster to, you know, the money ball thing. Like to, you know, we know that Blum's a good utility guy. He works better at second base and third base. We'll follow that for the normal human. Major mm-hmm. League Baseball player, for an outlier, for a Jer- uh, for a Justin Verlander or for a Kershaw, we're yeah, gonna throw that out. Job. We're gonna watch them. Good point. Watch the yeah. swings that people are taking. We're gonna watch. I mean, like Scherzer. Are you gonna put Scherzer in the same? The reason he makes forty million dollars a year is because he's different than all the other human beings in that dugout. So I think what it's gonna take, and this goes to your history point, I think what it's gonna take is a general manager that really is using analytics with their with their mindset with their scouting with their eye and not being afraid to get fired right or not being afraid to have you know what yeah getting we thought it would be great considering a perfect game Jeez. exactly right and 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 are they managing analytics and fear and then always having that safety net that fallback and you know the best people that are you know that started companies never had that safety net or that fallback they just went for it it's a great great so, call 
I appreciate it. I mean, it just jumped to me, jumped out at me. And I think that that's where we're going to see the most successful teams and the most successful things happen, right? Where you still have two guys on your roster, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander. Kershaw's probably out of that realm now. The Scherzer that look at the manager say, beat it. Don't come out here. <laughs> I'm right. staying on the mound. And and I think that's what it, it will take um, to kind of adjust what we're doing. And there's some hitters like that too, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. pinch hit for <laughs> certain guys in certain situations. You're just not going to do it. Yeah, so, the hitters have more leverage in that situation where if, if it's a blowout or not a blowout or a tough game, tight game, and they're going for the cycle and a blowout, they're going to get the at-bat. I mean, they're not taking Miguel Cabrera out of the game, even though he's 40 or 41 as you well. Like he's, yeah. he's sitting at 2,999 hits, and it's a blowout, and A.J. Hinch says, hey, why don't you take some rest over here? Yeah. Miguel Cabrera is going to give him the bird and go in the box. Yeah, that's right. Like that would be a that would be a fight. They'd have to pull his jersey off. Anyway, so uh, we probably beat that pretty well. But I do like your question, I like and I do think we came up with a good that that topic can spin around a couple of things because I really think there are some outliers, and then there are some things that um, good general managers and good managers can override to not just we're not talking as a fan, but to not mm-hmm. change the course of history for baseball because we could have seen a perfect game number twenty four in the history of uh, of baseball, and we didn't. We were we were robbed. We were, we was robbed. That that was a great conversation. It actually opened up a whole can of worms, like you said, which I think is kind of cool. And we'll have to save some of these questions when we do get some maybe some people who are a little more in depth into baseball and maybe have some opinions about that. But uh, the one thing that you know I want to kind of uh, piggyback on the, the Clayton Kershaw talk is Justin Verlander. For me, in the first couple of weeks, you know there there are some exciting things going on. But I am I was very curious to see how a thirty nine year old uh, you know, power pitcher like Justin Verlander was going to bounce back from Tommy John surgery. He's thrown in two ball games, given up one earned run, pitched a great game against Seattle, going eight innings, 87 pitches. The slider looked ridiculous. He was blowing the doors off these guys. And the last fastball he threw in that game in the eighth inning was 96 miles an hour. A, a, a He is a modern day miracle for me. And I just wanted to know if you, have you been paying attention to that? Do you have any concerns? And what do you see from Justin Verlander, maybe early on, or any idea about him on why he might be able to bounce back so so well from this injury? It's amazing to me in the first two starts to see him pitching so well. Well, I think a couple of things. One is I, we've talked about this Tommy John surgery. I mean, the surgeons are getting better, the ligaments are stronger, that kind of thing. We have seen plenty of people come back velocity wise. Now, I think the outlier here, a couple things, are the the age, right? His age, but I do think just from experience, we always talk about the experience, the vet, those kind of things that you get. Um, you know, as a veteran, you know how to handle yourself better. I'm sure he attacked rehab like nobody's business. He probably also got some advice from people like Tom Brady who retired and then came back saying, Hey, look, this is it. I mean, you've got 39, 40, 41, you know, you've got at most two, two and a half years left doing what you've trained your whole life to do. So I do think that when you get those distractions kind of, you know, when the newness of the big leagues or your history and your lore and all that stuff is kind of set in stone, then you can just go out and have fun um, obviously modern medicine helped that a lot, but he's smarter. He's smarter, better, more time to prepare. He probably watched film, watched games last year. Like, all right, you guys played Seattle in that bubble. I remember how young they were and you must've played them. It seemed like, I don't know why, <laughs> but you played day. them four games and then you played them there and then you played them again. <laughs> I mean, he probably gleaned some insight from that as well, but I'm not, this is probably an easy statement. I'm not nearly as surprised as I would have been 
you know, 10 years ago, because we've seen mm-hmm. many people do this, especially at a high level, uh, come back. But uh, but he's really sharp early in the year. So it'll be, you know, interesting to see if he can continue that or what his goals are. Maybe he's maybe he is that, you know, you said he's not going to get 35 starts. I know you mentioned about Kershaw, but I think we said that last podcast. Like, you know, you want him fresh and healthy, similar to the NBA guys taking rest. You want him fresh and healthy for the playoffs. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage him going forward and keep his sharpness. But I, I'm not as surprised as I used to be maybe about a 39-year-old, um, especially somebody of his stature. What I mean, what have you seen that's so different about him when he, I guess the last time he took the mound, he was 37. So... Yeah, you, you know what? I think you hit on all the key points, and you actually brought up the fact that this is something I haven't even talked about on our broadcast, is the miracle of modern science. The ability to go out there and have this surgery and have guys bounce back and, and not just throw harder, but throw more consistently and have their, you know, it, you know, I'm not sure what the shelf life of a of a Tommy John surgery is. You know, is it is it six years? Is it 10 years? We don't know what that is. It varies for each athlete. But Justin Verlander, you know, you talked about the Scherzers, the Kershaws, and some of these guys that have been able to have these long, illustrious careers, but that puts him in a different echelon. He is a different human. And it's not just the physicality of the game, because obviously he's he's gifted with that right arm. But I think the bigger thing is he's gifted with a great delivery and an idea of what his body can do. So with the the, the successful surgery, with the game plan, the rehab program, the ability to get back, and then you add in that that competitive superstar mentality that we talk about on this podcast all the time, whether it be Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Tom Brady, the gear that these guys have in understanding the game and how to work within it with their abilities is what astonishes me. And I think Justin Verlander has, showed, has shown that in the first two starts, his ability to adjust to the injury, get back to it. But his as far as differences, I didn't see anything different with the delivery. It still looked fluid. It didn't look like he was protecting the arm. The ball was jumping out of his hand. His slider probably looks as be- as good as I've seen it when he- since he's been an Astro. And I was just amazed at his ability to go out there and do that. So I think that he he's heading in the right direction. We'll continue to watch him, obviously. But it- he's almost a guy like Scherzer, who's in his upper 30s, do you really talk about their age anymore? I just say he's a damn good pitcher and just go on. You know, I don't think age is a thing with these guys anymore. No, I would agree. I do think the age is a thing with our sponsors, and we should go to a word uh, from our sponsors at this point. And when we come back, we're going to talk about maybe a hot mic situation and a little bit of the NBA playoffs. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. 
That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right. A word from our sponsor here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Remember, you can get at Blummer at Blummer27 on both Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle, both Instagram and Twitter. Bleacherblums.com. We have some and we have some swag on there, but uh, we're not all about the swag. But if you want a t-shirt to wear around Minute Maid Park, you can grab it there. And then on YouTube, we have short hops. If you want to look at our twinsy haircuts. I know, right? <laughs> mine's, a little, mine's a little on the short side, but whatever. Anyway, um, welcome back. And uh, Blummer, we wanted to give you the floor at this moment because I guess, again... There was probably some controversy that I missed living here on the uh, on the left coast uh, uh, about, I guess, um, a microphone and a swear word or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm lost. Yeah. No, but you know what? That actually speaks volumes, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, this is something that kind of blew up inside the, the Houston Astro fandom and the Houston Astro, you know, the Houston market, I guess, as far as media is concerned, it didn't really go too far nationally. But uh, that actually kind of kind of shines a light on where this is at, uh, knowing that it's kind of maintained itself inside the city of Houston. I think if it was a little more egregious, as we will learn about some of the other guys in the past, it may have gone national. But I think that actually gives me some some uh, some hope or some reality to the situation that it didn't go national, and it's probably a good thing because I did get popped on a hot mic. Now, the interesting thing I want to know, but I want everybody to know about this is, 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 uh, you know, how do I, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this because I was not supposed to be on air. And the truth is on AT&T Sportsnet, our regional network that broadcasts our games did not, did not have the hot mic situation. This happened on a streaming service. The streaming service came back from a commercial break about 40 to 50 seconds early. So we are in a commercial break and I knew we were in a commercial break because our producer tells me every time we're in a commercial break. Now, what usually happens in between a commercial break is I'll have a conversation with TK. I'll have a conversation with our producer. All three of us will be talking to each other, setting up the upcoming inning. This inning happened to be a pitching change and we have a new sponsor, which is Crawford Bach. TK going to break says, hey, this pitching change brought to you by Crawford Bach. We go to break. We're in break. Our producer tells us, Blummer, you're going to take us out of break, do another Crawford Bach read, and we're going to set up the pitcher. TK chimes in and says, another Crawford Bach you know, read. This is something we're getting used to. It's early in the season. We haven't had the sponsor before. And I looked at TK and I said, yeah, man. You know, like Crawford Box is sponsor. So I said, yeah, man, we're going to Crawford Bach the beep out of this thing. And I said the S word. And that's what went out on air. And if you listen, if you actually pay attention and, and listen to the timing of the hot mic, you hear TK, you hear me with the hot mic comment of saying, we're going to Crawford Bach the bleep out of this thing. And then we go silent for about 15, 20 seconds. And the reason for that is we're in commercial break. Yep. This is not live TV. We are in commercial break. And then my producer in my ear that you can't hear is going 10 seconds, five, four, three, two, one. And then you hear me read the Crawford Bach read. 
So, yes, I got busted on a hot mic, but the streaming service, and I don't know what the rules are, and this is kind of what ticked me off a little bit, is that our audio engineer in the truck left our mics open so we we could communicate for each other. I don't know how it got out of the truck to begin with. I'm not an audio engineer. But the fact that the streaming service came back that early, it's on them. You know, they are partially responsible for this. You know, if... If it, it obviously could have been worse, and I could have said something like a you know a Marty Brenneman or some of these other guys in the past who you know have made these you know crazy ludicrous off the cuff remarks, but I got popped on a hot mic. Uh, I was mortified because I started to get uh, uh, messages on my phone and uh, alerts saying I'm being talked about on social media, and I'm like, what the heck did I do? And I'm thinking mm-hmm. back to the previous innings where we you know I was talking to TK in between innings about Justin Verlander going man, Justin Verlander's slider's really effing these guys up, you know, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> then, I, you know, I'm going, wow, you know, could that have been it? And then I heard the clip and I'm like, it's bad. I'm embarrassed that I said that, you know, I said the S word, but I was just being me, which I don't feel awful about. And, you know, it, it got caught. And now, you know. Well, I don't think you should feel bad. I mean, I know you're still I appreciate you talking. saying that because, you know, you do kind of need that affirmation because I was mortified because I don't want to be the guy that's known as the S word guy or that I want to be known as a broadcaster and a good dude and all this kind of stuff. But I am, as we have our fans on Bleacher Blums and as I, as much as I appreciate you and Mark Ramos, I thank you for saying that and reaffirming the fact that it it could have been worse. And thankfully it wasn't, but the fans have been overwhelmingly supportive and positive about the situation. So I am grateful to all the Bleacher Blum and Astro fans and the Bleacher Blum family right here in our trust tree. You know, what I will say too, though, and and the way you said it, now everyone's going, well, there's two sides every story and the streaming service could have something. I mean, the streaming service could make this right as well. But there are, I mean... You know, you if you have to go pee during an inning break, like you know, it's like boom. All right, I gotta go. You run out of there. Like you know when the mic's off and when you gotta hustle and when you gotta do. So the fact now that we have and you've done a few YouTube games, I know, and you have some things in the hopper coming up that are gonna be different than AT and T Sportsnet, and you get on a streaming service and YouTube, and you know, there, you know, you did Pac-12 Network stuff, and you know, maybe some other things in the in the works. They're all a little bit different, but the protocol should be the same. And to your point, I think Tom Brenneman, Marty Brenneman's son, right, is the oh, one sorry. that got in trouble. That's all right, just to clarify. But there there should be, and there are, I know, but there should be some rules around, like, you know, I mean, saying the S word, like the people that are criticizing you make it sound like they've never said the S word. I mean, their job is different. You know, I can throw down a pen at my desk or, you know, swear at a guy that cuts me off in traffic, and nobody's going to be like... Gosh, he swore. That's weird. I, I just don't. I don't understand that logic. But I also don't get how they basically came back from break and now they're in your booth during a time that you're supposed to be um, off mic. Essentially, they're in. It's Correct. basically like it's like the FBI going. You know what? Let's tap his phone and listen to what he says when we're not really supposed to be listening. And I, I'm not saying they went that far and it was intentional. I'm just saying, you know, you know when you're on air and when you're off air. They shouldn't be allowed to circumvent that or supersede that. That's on, like you said, the streaming service, and that's on somebody who either isn't following the rules or or maybe they're offering that. Maybe that's the next place we go with this, Barstool. Like, hey, if you want to really hear what goes on in the booth, we're going to leave the mic open all the time, and this is your, you know, like the Howard Stern channel. Podcast. Yeah, right? This is your Howard Stern channel. Like, you and TK and Julia, like, this is how it really is. Julia, 
put on your puffy jacket and get out there in the rain and do, you know, I mean, like, yeah, you know, I mean, there's stuff going on that's not like, hey, you know, all the rainbows and whatever, like Verlander slider no, looks the, excellent. The business tonight. is going on in between innings, to your point. I think that's what you're trying to explain. Is that's like, exactly you know, right. it, it, it's like, is that graphic ready? We're going to go to this highlight. We're going to do that. And that's what we're that's talking right. about next inning. Julie, are you ready if Blummer throws it to you? That's what's exactly. happening. That's a great yeah. point. And yeah. if you want to offer that to your audience and you're aware that there's some frenetic things and some panic and some Be stuff going on, that's great. That's fine. So to me, as an outsider, again, I wasn't there, not in the truck, obviously didn't hear it. I obviously know you well, but the, the, I mean, it's kind of much ado about nothing. And I I appreciate you, you know, you can apologize for swearing, you know, a child hearing you listening on some streaming service. But I mean, let's be real about it. I I hope it's not a big controversy and it shouldn't be, in my opinion, my humble opinion. No, I appreciate that. And that that's the beauty of this. You know, we talk about how we're able to get our feelings out, opinions out, but it's also nice to be able to clear the air on some things because being in the public eye, being a broadcaster, obviously there's certain expectations put on us and I want to live up to those expectations. And I feel like I do when I'm actually working <laughs> and in between innings when we're trying to set things up and have a good time and keep it loose and try stay and try and stay invigorated for a three and a half hour game. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna have some clubhouse talk every once in a while and TK's okay with it. You know, and that's another thing. You know, I'm not doing anything. I I really make a point of not doing anything that's gonna disrespect my producer, my work coworkers. And, and things like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be loose. They understand me. They they've told me when I've gone too far. They tell me when I haven't gone far enough. Yeah. And I'm gonna respect that. Um, it, 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 but that's just you know it just yeah. happened. And I'm glad it I'm glad it's over with. And I want it to be over yeah. with. To be brutally honest with you. Way we say this last thing about it. We say you know this every time in the intro. I mean, obviously, I played nine years of professional baseball in the minor leagues, but that was not my only nine years in a clubhouse. You know, I played college baseball. I played you know travel tournaments before that. Yeah, yeah. You're 14 years in the big leagues, and you add you know a couple years in the minor leagues and a couple years at Cal, and you're looking at you know 20, (laughs) 22 years in a clubhouse. If if fans of baseball and that have children that play baseball that have been around any sporting event don't think that there's any like swearing that goes on in a club like oh my god we have a ball player on air and he swore it, i can't believe it that's the craziest thing i've ever heard <laughs> i mean again you were not on air so that that justifies that but um anyway we got your back and it sounds like it's kind of much ado about nothing but uh you know Thank maybe you. i just maybe we just thought of another business plan which is let's have a streaming service that allows like behind the scenes and you know some mm-hmm. some material may not be suitable <laughs> for yeah, all audiences out there and go for it <laughs> and go for it yeah like i said and and you know what's funny when you actually say what you said to me here like we're going to crawford bock the bleep out of this is really funny like Everybody should appreciate that. Like, yeah, they're our sponsor, and we're going to read it, and we're going to read it going in, we're, we're going to read it coming it. out. That like was, That was like the idea. That that's you know, right. Like, Man, we're going to crush this thing. Let's that's go. Right. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you did it once. We're going to bring him back with the same thing. Like, we got a new sponsor. We're going we're gonna to get after it. So anyway, speaking of getting after it, um, I was just, you know, perusing, you know, the Bay Area news as I as I want to do, being a Warriors and a Giants fan. And, um, you know, the Giants got out to a better start than I expected. You know, we talked about chemistry and things like that. But my the thing that most caught my eye is this year, as the NBA playoffs started, I told you many times, the playoffs is when I start tuning into many sports, hockey a little bit, um, NBA, you know, baseball playoffs are obviously outstanding. And, but the NBA, I mean, the Phoenix Suns are kind of 
I think, by far and away the favorite, the Milwaukee Bucks defending champions, you know, probably there in second. And uh, the Warriors are start out the season really spectacularly hot, and then they had Draymond Green get hurt, and Steph Curry got hurt, and, you know, the collective group of guys haven't played together. They look really good. Now, granted, they're playing Utah, but uh, this Jordan Poole guy who was a high pick has really turned it on. But Gosh, I yeah, think the only, the only thing that can derail the Phoenix Suns would be the Phoenix Suns. And last night, unfortunately, this is not wishing for an injury, but we've seen it happen with Chris Paul. Last year, he got hurt. I think he hurt his thumb or he hurt something at the end of the playoffs, yeah, and they didn't that make it. a couple of times. I forgot about last year. Yeah, and you mentioned he did it with Houston, um, mm -hmm. you know, a hamstring or a wrist or something. That was I, actually against wish, the Warriors, yeah. That's right. And so I, 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 watching Devin Booker pull up with a hamstring last night and then losing that game, and now they're 1-1 in their series, I just... I just had a flashback. Now, devilishly, I'm, you know, I think that helps the Warriors and it gives the Warriors an opportunity. But, you know, it's disappointing that, you know, the best team in the league is, uh, you know, going to literally and figuratively limp into their next few games in the playoffs. And we'll obviously have to wait. We're not physicians, but wait and see what happens there. But um, I didn't know if, you know, obviously with opening day and just getting back and all of that, if you watch any of the playoffs, Luka Doncic's been hurt. Um, you know, the, the guys that you want to see play. The horses. Yeah, are not playing. And, and it definitely affects the way the NBA is versus college because it is such a one-on-one -on -one yeah. matchup type game. I mean, even the Nets were struggling against the Celtics and they haven't played together. It's either Kyrie or Durant or nobody and they had gotten rid of Harden. But we don't need to get into the weeds on the NBA. I just thought it's disappointing actually to see the, the Suns, um, you know, limping into the yeah. next few games and hoping that they can rebound. No, I think there's some similarities between all the sports. You know, in order for organizations to go out there and win championships, you've got to be healthy. And that, you know, in retrospect, after you win the world, you know, the world championship or the world series, you look back and you're going, man, how great was it having our entire rotation healthy for the entire season? How great was it having Devin Booker and Chris Paul on the court, you know, 95% of the time? And yeah. so that's obviously a professional sports thing where if everybody's healthy, you've got a real chance. Shoot, the Dodgers are the same way. If they can stay healthy, they they have got to be the favorite to win the World Series, much like the Warriors and the Suns. Right. And to the point that we've talked about in this, in the NBA, is that it's, you know, every sport is different. You've got nine players on the field in baseball. You've got, uh, you know, 11 to 22 in the NFL that you've got to rely on. But if you have a great quarterback, you're, you're increasing your chances of, of winning. In baseball, you've got to have more than one great pitcher to go out there and do it. In the NBA, we've talked about this a ton. That is the one sport where you have five guys on the court. And if you're missing one superstar or key component, it could implode the whole situation. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the Dodgers being healthy. And if they stay healthy winning the World Series, they're on their way to doing it, as we already mentioned in this podcast. You know, Kershaw's mm -hmm. going to be healthy. They took him out 80 pitches. Like, keep him, keep him going. <laughs> keep they're him on healthy. their... They're that's well the on their way to doing yeah. it. So anyway, that's all I got. I mean, I think now the uh, like I said, the Bucks maybe be the are the front runner, but the Warriors look pretty mm -hmm. damn good, and we're just hoping, as we always do, like hoping that. Uh, I honestly want it, you know, I want it to be full strength teams against full strength yes. teams, right? So we want Booker to get healthy and back for the next series if they can pull this one out, and uh, you know that way, then you can see where the chips fall, um, you know, at full strength. So that's all I have on that.
No, that's cool. It's been a good podcast. I'm feeling much better after getting all of this out. I hope everybody in the bleachers enjoyed this one. It was a, it, it was a fun first week, interesting first week and a half, two weeks of the season. So it's a lot of fun. There's plenty more to go. Obviously, the bleachers are going to continue on. Happy episode 169 on being recorded on April 20th. And I'm just going to leave that right there and let your imagination go wild because I know Tuttle's <laughs> is spinning right now. <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy Madison coming to mind. Hey, um, I believe we have a, a a fan interaction or a fan review or oh, a yeah. fan something. This is oh, this is awesome. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Ramos wanted to bring to it our attention. Yeah, so we got a new Apple review, and this is titled "Great Podcast." I look forward to each new episode every week. This is a fantastic podcast. I love to hear the stories the guys tell about their time in baseball. And it was just signed Astros fan. But then there's another one that says uh, by Joseph that says, whenever I listen, I simply have a ball. Hmm. Hey, isn't, that's probably the biggest compliment. Uh, you know, th throughout the, the years of broadcasting and especially recently, the best compliment I've ever gotten paid is that, you know, it sounds like you and TK are just sitting at your house, calling the game, having a good time together. And I think that's what you and I have, Tuttle, is that, you know, we are not a scripted podcast. I don't know how many are, but I feel like some of them have the content that's like in line. This is the segment. We're going to do this. The, we get on and we look at each other and we go, do you got anything? I don't know. I got maybe something. And then you look at me and you're like, eh, I got maybe one thing. And then all of a sudden, 45 minutes to an hour later, we're like, man, that was awesome. We felt great. So that... We are having a ball too. We are having a lot of fun doing this podcast. And considering what has happened in the last couple of weeks, uh, especially recently with me and some of the quote unquote controversy, it feels good to be able to talk about it. And it also feels good. And I don't, Tuttle, this may be something for you. I'm in the public eye. Now you are with this podcast, but it kind of, it, 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 there's something that is unique and fun about being able to share it with other people. I, absolutely. I mean, that's, I, I, so, so I think, you learn to put your thoughts together better. And I mean, again, I think because you're in this whirlwind of Houston, maybe you thought air quotes, uh, controversy. I mean, it, yes, like I said, it controversy is a strong word is my point. Like, yes, you're in the public eye and you did something that people are aware mm -hmm. of and they see again, I haven't had that a whole lot. There was one time, and we can't necessarily talk about the context where I tweeted out something that I wasn't supposed to tweet out. And I was <laughs> like, whoa, all right. Like, that's something that I need to be aware of. And so we've talked about that before. So I'm definitely learning on the fly. But I think to your point, we've we've said this before, the cathartic feeling, there's a catharsis mm -hmm. here for us to just get out unscripted and get to talk about these things. It's another platform for you. Um, you're more used to being in the public eye and some of the things that you say get, you know, scrutinized maybe at a higher, uh, a, a higher value or a higher register than things that many of us do. But, uh, but yeah, just hearing the review, great podcast. I mean, shouldn't all our reviews be titled great podcast? I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, please. Mark, give us, give us a unique review. I mean, great podcast. We hear all the time. No, I'm kidding. Do you want me to read some of the ones from two years ago? Uh, no. Oh, I boy. Do not. Yeah, you. you know what's funny about that? Those are pre-Mark Ramos. <laughs> well, they're also pre like any sort of really editing or sound or being in the same room or figuring out that we should use so a true. microphone and be near it and like I mean, yeah. So if uh, if the, most of the feedback was like that, then we're okay. But I, no, it was it was strictly audio issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, dude. Of and guess who was doing audio? This well. guy. <laughs> 
So look, yeah, they always no, say, know all, what you don't know. We figured it out. We got the right guy behind them. Behind and the, to your uh, point, you mentioned it. We talk about it on this podcast all the time with getting after it. And that's part of getting after it is learning. And you know what? Not fearing the failure. You're going to have these, these these mistakes and they're going to be good ones, bad ones. As long as you learn from it, move on from it and, and continue to grow, it's going to be a great thing. But we appreciate everybody's feedback. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. We'll read them on the podcast every once in a while. We appreciate you. Share it with your friends, family, and uh, make sure that uh, you thank all of the military home and abroad. Make sure you thank all first responders and uh, the EMTs, the, the nurses, doctors, uh, you know, the, the police personnel, the fire personnel that goes out there rushing into harm's way to keep us protected, the teachers who are doing a great job continuing to teach our kids and, and further their education in this in these tough times as we break through the end of the pandemic. And uh, Tuttle, that, that's all I've got. I've had a blast, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, no more masks on planes. Um, if you're over it? the yeah, there you go. If you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Blum, I got a quote for you. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment, which is not my quote, but there you go. That's how we learn. We learn by uh, having hot mics on. Um, (laughs) Folks, as you know, listening to this podcast, we encourage you every day, every week, every hour, get after it. Believe it. Believe it. All right, look at that. We riffed. I'm feeling good. Time to attack the day. I know, me too. I can actually go on with the day. (laughs) 